Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. Yes, thank you, thank you. I, as you may may or well, you should know by now, I am Joe Patrice of Above the Law, and with me, Ellie Mistal. What's up? You know, lots of things are up. You, we missed you last week. You were ill. Yes, I was ill, and I'm still kind of recovering from being ill, which I can just jump into it, um, is kind of what I'm pissed off about today, not surprisingly. Germs? Um, well, the flu shot is what I'm pissed off about. So your stance is that you got the flu, even though you got the flu shot, but you probably didn't have the flu. I well, we can get into that. My okay. stance is that I got the flu shot, right? You did. Okay, right? that that's actually not a stance. That is a factual thing. That's that a factual step, right? Judicial notice, right? Gavel. I am not an anti-vaxer. I'm not a. I'm not a one of these, you know, crazy uh, uh, people who is thinks that the flu shot makes you sick. That's not what happens. Okay. I'm the kind of crazy person that assumes that if I've gotten the flu shot, that should be some kind of prophylactic against all of it, right? I don't want to get, I don't want to get sick at all. I've got the flu shot. It's like, right. it's like a condom for germs. Yeah, that's not at all. How that's that works. how it should be, right? Well, so I then mean, I get sick. Now, did I get sick with the actual flu, with the strain of the flu? What strain? I don't. I got real sick last week and was coughing and snotting all over the place, despite the fact that I got the freaking flu shot. Right. That's not right. Right. That's but, not the medical science that was promised to me. Actually, it strikes me as though it's pretty pretty dead on the medical science that's promised to you. But these, these germs, the newfound craziness is apparently these germs are all different. And to fight them, you have to kind of fight each one in turn. You don't really get to, you know, have a cure for AIDS because you've taken Tylenol. They do different things. It's 20. First of all, AIDS is a virus, right? I'm not talking. Well, I guess the flu. So is the flu. The flu. And right. the cold. All of these things, actually. Do I need to get Louis Pasteur up in here to, like, figure out how to do this? Like, it's Well, 20, he killed bacteria. It's 2018. We should be able to figure out how to keep me from getting sick a week before the goddamn midterm elections. Oh, I, I know. Don't have had kids. <laughs> solve, solve your problem in one. And scene. Yeah. That's actually probably right. Right. I mean, they're disease vectors. I didn't bring these germs into my house, but I know who did. Yeah. And what do you get in exchange? You know, they take your money. Well, it's I'm just uh, assuming elder care, right? Oh, okay. Like, Good luck on that. Because Social Security ain't gonna do it. Fair enough. Right? <laughs> Somebody's gotta keep me in the in the style I have become accustomed to. Oh well, fair enough. Speaking of kids, yes. So uh, the style you've become accustomed to is a style that you managed to build because of your years in law school. See, seamless transition. Uh, which brings us to today's subject. We're going to talk about the latest law school news coming out of the legal landscape. We've been following multiple stories over the last week or so of increasingly insane developments with law schools. And we thought we would go through them for those of you who care about what goes on in law school, those of you who are in law school, and those of you who are thinking about law school, consider these precautionary examples. So where do we want to start? Which of the law schools 
do we want to talk about first? I, I think I want to talk about William and Mary because William hurt, and Mary it hurts my heart. Yeah. It, well, I mean, it. Okay. I mean, it, hurting hearts is, is certainly fine too. Uh, I found it more abominably gobsmackingly stupid, but I mean, heart hurt, <laughs> stupid. Go for it. So the issue at William and Mary is that, and every law school has this, right? William and Mary has rich donors, right? And rich donors, if I may quote the Big Lebowski, rich donors draw a lot of water in this town, mm-hmm. and law students ain't draw shit, right? Like, that's that's how that works, right? Mm-hmm. And so if you are a rich donor, the law school will kiss up to you. They will give you sure. – the, you will endow a professorship. They will give you a chair. They will name a building after you. If you give law school enough money, they will go, make like Northwestern and name the – entire goddamn law school after you right this is not new this is not a new facet of late republic america why is harvard named harvard because some rich guy gave harvard gave a college in cambridge a bunch of books and they were like we'll name the whole damn school after you right however i mean that's certainly how columbia because tommy columbia gave them all that money (laughs) but no i your point's correct however and, and and we can debate this, but like fundamentally, that's just how the world's going to be. However, there is a difference between a law school naming a building or endowing a professorship or a, co- or a scholarship after a rich donor, um, between them doing that and them serving up their students to the rich donor and compromising the school's academic integrity, right? Okay. Uh, th- those, are, those are lines that most schools don't cross. William and Mary decided to jump right over the line and spike their students on the wrong side of it. So what did William and Mary do specifically with this donor? So the donor's name is Jim McLaughlin. I'm not sure. It's not McLaughlin. It's McLaughlin, okay, I believe. Yes. Um, it's easier if you read it. On we're the gi- yeah, we're giving, we're giving the microphones a test there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he spends a lot of money, donates a lot of money. William Mary, uh, he was speaking there at the McLaughlin Leadership Forum. Okay. Um, he was giving the keynote address there. And problem number one, the law school requested that its students attend this leadership forum meeting. Okay. Which has nothing to do with their academic curriculum, but okay. made them attend this meeting. Instructed them, apparently, before the, the, the speech to be respectful to the speaker because he's a rich donor, which, all right, all, 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 all right, mm-hmm. at which point, according to tipsters, and we weren't there, we didn't hear the speech, I don't know exactly what he said, but according to tipsters, he went into some, as they described it, racially charged rant. What? Talking about the caravan and immigrants and defending Brett Kavanaugh about how he was unfairly treated. Just this whole... Black, yeah, black people get shot because they don't treat cops with enough respect. Explaining I mean, that, one of them. Yeah. that black people get... The, the people... That, that Not black... That the people who get shot oh, by right, the right, right. cops are the ones who don't treat the police with enough respect. Yeah. To this diverse audience of law students and apparently also um, some business students, right? Mm. At one table, not there was a there was a dean, a communications dean, who allegedly told the students at his table after McLaughlin's speech that not only did they have to like stand there and be respectful and, and and not walk out of the damn thing, but that after he was done, they needed to stand up and applaud. Yeah, yeah, that's some North Korea shit right there. That that to me that crosses an important line 
between, yeah, okay, you're rich, we're going to kiss your ass, and yeah, you're rich, so we're going to offer up our students as sacrificial lambs to make you feel good about your racist behavior, right? And that shouldn't be allowed. Unfortunately, and this is the part that hurts my heart, of course it's allowed. Of course it happens all the time, right? As I wrote about this, and one of the things I said is that, you know, even an outspoken African-American man like myself, 40-year-old, grown-ass man like myself, you know, if a rich investor walked in here to our offices and wanted to take me out to lunch and spent that lunch talking about how awesome the police were and how people who get shot by the cops were stupid, you know, I would have some trouble telling that rich investor to go jump in a lake, right? There right. was a there was a strong chance that if and it depends on the investor, depends on how rich they it depends on lots of factors. But even as a 40-year-old grown ass man, you put enough money into my company, into my job, into my whatever, and I'm gonna have to sit there and chew my mouth closed and say, mm. now nobody can make me applaud because I'm just I'm strong. That's the lie. But but can make me sit there and just have to listen to it? That happens. That happens all the time. The first time I was aware that was happening, I was like 10 years old. And the last time it happened was like two weeks ago. Like this is a part of being out there, living a life in white society as a minority person. There are the occasional rich white men who can make you listen to them just with the force and effect of their cash. Mm. And if you want to stand up to make you, I'm using make in a slightly colloquial way, compel you to sit there and feel like you have to listen to them. And if you don't listen to them, if you do stand up for yourself and stand up for your people, stand up for your race, there will be a consequence. And you can wait and, you know, in those dinners, in those moments, at those drinks, with having those coffees, I find myself adding it up, right? How much is this guy really worth versus how strong am I in my career at this particular moment in time? And how much am I willing to sacrifice to simply tell this particular rich white man to shut up? Mm. Poor white man. I'll tell him shut up. I mean, I'll stop my car. Get out my car. Hey, you should shut up right now, right? But if you're putting money in something that is important to me, you can even get a person like me to have to occasionally hold their tongue. And that's what the William and Mary law students, you know, had to experience that lesson at law school. And it's, it's sad to me because it's just, I wish I could tell them it's going to be the last time. And with that, Ellie learns the lesson that money equals speech. Thank, <laughs> this has been our mini lesson on Citizens United. Apply for your CLE credits separately. Um, yeah, no, it, that's that's certainly true. The one other thing that was a little disturbing about it on a broader level was the apparently at one point again according to tipsters there was a interlude where he explained that he'd basically filed suit against somebody for defamation for saying something mean about him on Facebook which probably wasn't even a cognizable claim but kind of evidence that rich people can push around regular people by threatening to sue them and just knowing they have more resources. Yep. That was disturbing, especially in the context of the way we talk about free speech challenges. I mean, we've had a previous episode where we talked about what happened at Gawker. This is increasingly the way of the world where people leverage their resources to silence 
people who did they don't like. The uh, administration's response was also trash, right? Oh, yeah. Like William Mary's response after so after the thing, after the de- the debacle as it was called by one of our tipsters, there was a town hall meeting where the students were allowed to concur to come talk to the dean about the difficult situation they had been put into. And apparently at that meeting, uh, administration officials were trying to explain away McLaughlin's comments as, well, actually, he, he really likes black people. He gives a lot to, to, to causes. And, you know, basically, trying, he's had a different kind of upbringing than a lot of us. I mean, he grew up in a hard scrabble trying to excuse this allegedly bigoted and misogynist speech that this man made to the students that had to sit there and suffer it. And then the other thing, and, and I don't say this, look, we do a lot of reporting. We reach out to schools and law firms all the time, judges and people. And we get no commented a lot. You know, it it happens. It's part of – I respect a no comment. William and Mary no commenting us on this story really pissed me off. Mm-hmm. Because it was, again, a way for William and Mary to shift the burden of dealing with this bigoted, sexist – rant from this guy shift the burden of that from them onto their minority students right it would have taken nothing nothing for william and mary to give a simple well we can't talk about the specifics of the speech but william and mary stands against racial divisiveness right it would take nothing for them to say even a platitude on behalf in defense of their students who were offended and they couldn't even muster – obviously, McLaughlin is too scary to them. They couldn't even muster that. I thought that was particularly cowardly. Mm. What was the sexist part of the speech, by the way? I didn't uh, – This is the Kavanaugh stuff. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. He was unfairly treated. Men's oh, rights. right, right, right. Yeah. I Yeah, I focused so much on the rest that right. I forgot that. So uh, let's transition now to somebody you've already mentioned, the Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. Pritzker. Uh, named after uh, wealthy people. Uh, well, and now the current governor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, fair enough. Well, not current, uh, soon to be, I guess, yeah. is the right way to governor put Governor-elect. Yeah. So um, um, It's the Pritzker family that bought the name of Northwestern. J.B. Pritzker is just one of the scions um, who won the gubernatorial race in Illinois, right? He's not yeah. the he's he's the Jim Dolan, not the Charles Dolan, right? Yeah, I I I, I don't I don't know. Uh, I don't, <laughs> no. I, I'm not following the Pritzker family tree particularly closely. <laughs> the, and it's also not particularly relevant to this point, which is that after they gave the school somewhere in the upwards of a hundred million dollars uh, to get the name changed, and you know, with the school reaching its as far as anyone can tell, if not exceeding its goals of raising $200,000 or so over a short period of, or a couple of years, uh, the school's- 200000 is not what you meant, right? I did not. Million. <laughs> the school's newly installed dean made an announcement that the school is facing financial difficulties and is firing all these people. How expensive is it to run a law school? Your only cost are your people. Yeah, that's all. And buildings, I suppose, right. but and like your people in a heating belt. Yeah, I mean, I'm always reminded of the Simpsons episode where Burns is trying to get his son into Yale, and they're like, to get him in with his test scores, we would need an international airport. Uh, like, whenever <laughs> I hear of schools not having enough money, all I can think is, well, then don't build new buildings. Um, and some buildings need to be built, rebuilt, or whatever because of 
asbestos. But like, you don't need new stuff all the time. And it strikes me that when, the only way you can possibly be burning through money that fast are major capital improvements, right? Like, there's just no other thing. Like, it's not like they're giving such. It's not like they're giving free tuition away to everybody, right? right? Like, there are certainly scholarships and all, and that's important. Uh, there's financial aid packages they put together that are very important. But, like, that is not why they're burning through $200 million. And, and as it, law schools in, in crisis in terms of needing people to fill the seats go, Northwestern is not one of them, right? North, yeah. Northwestern can put butts in their seats when they need to. I'm a little bit surprised about your take on this because yeah. you're – Kind because it's not like Northwestern. I mean, some of them were faculty, but they didn't do a full like denuding of mm. tenured professors True. as we've seen at some schools. Right, a lot of these were administrative people, associate dean in charge of blah 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 which, blah. Which I applaud. Yes, and, I was, and I'm saying it's weird for me to hear you kind of stand up for these people because usually, yes, you're the guy who says that the associate dean of blah 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 deserves to be like put on a train to to Siberia. Yeah, well, I mean, my issue with that is I, I very much agree with Paul Campos's uh, analysis that a large part of the reason why, in particular at public schools, but at all schools, the drive up of tuition has been to finance highly paid administrative personnel who have questionably useful, often dubious portfolios. And I still think that's true. That's a reason why tuition is ticking up a little bit every year. I think when we're when we're dealing with this many zeros, I feel like it's a question that's beyond just that. Though I certainly applaud that they got rid of some of those folks, but they also were purging a number of clinical faculty as well mm. as, you know, like um I thought that that sort of thing is problematic, especially in a world where we make fun of it a lot, but we also think it's important issues like the practice ready law school grad, which is yep. somewhat of a myth, but not as much of a myth as it probably once was. It is important, in especially this at market. a school like Northwestern, which traditionally emphasizes um, that particular kind of training. Yeah. And so to do things that cut against clinical education, I'm one of those people who believes in having full time faculty and not farming everything out to adjuncts. And yes, some adjuncts were let go as part of this, but it struck me from what I've heard, it wasn't like the adjuncts who I teach one class a week where I take two hours off of my practice. It, it, these adjuncts were just not full faculty members. A lot of these folks taught multiple classes over the course of years. Uh, at that point, at that point, I, I feel a little bit queasy about it, especially since, you know, like you've got this much money. Um, so yeah, that's, I, that's my concern. I mean, obviously, the the real the issue here from a from a student perspective is are the services that you're getting at your law school when you're a 2L after this purge the same as what you thought you were getting you were going to be getting at your law school yeah. as a 0L when you signed up to go there just after the Pritzkers dumped two hundred million dollars sorry more than that yeah hundred uh, hundred million dollars on the school yeah right so and I think that's a Obviously, Northwestern is still a great school. Obviously, these people are going to graduate. Most of them will pass the bar. Most of them will be readily employable. This is not the kind of move that hurts a student's career prospects. But if you're currently a student, you do have to wonder what what resources are being used for you versus what resources are being used 
to get a class five years from now? And is your education going to suffer because the school is now looking five, 10 years ahead? I think that's a, it's a question that we're not going to be able to answer in part because Northwestern is private and they're not, I mean, I don't know if you've called, but I don't think they're going to give us their books. Yeah. I don't, I law schools tend not to. Yeah. Um, uh, Speaking of it's law another school, no comment that we'll we'll get. <laughs> speaking of thinking ten years ahead and law school books, uh, a law school that probably should have done that was Valparaiso Law School, uh, <laughs> which is going to no longer exist. Which no longer exists. Uh, yeah. So the the saga of Valparaiso is they announced out of the blue. Valparaiso is in Indiana, by the way. It is. It is. It is. I mean, the... people watch basketball. They like. No, they have a team. They don't remember Bryce Drew. Like mm. the. Sorry. Go on. Fair enough. Uh, they came out of the blue to announce a while back that they weren't taking on new classes. We reported at the time that it looked like that meant they were closing. They angrily denied that they were closing and demanded that we change that story around. So anyway, they're closing, <laughs> as we said. In the interim, they tried to give away their law schools for free to Tennessee, basically ship all of its assets over to Middle Tennessee, and Middle Tennessee agreed. The government of Tennessee, which had to sign off on it, said, why? Why would we do this? So they did not get that. And now they're coming to a close. Uh, this comes on the heels of Indiana Tech closing. Like now, being a lawyer in Indiana, you've got your IUs, basically, is what's left. First of all, as we just discussed with Northwestern, what what assets do you have other than your people and your heating bill, right? Like, other than your people and your physical space, what the hell are you shipping in Middle Tennessee State? Yeah. You're- and why would they need it? If Middle Tennessee State wanted a law school, they could go to Amazon and buy their own goddamn books. Right. The The thought that that was ever going to work is boggle. The thought that the government of Tennessee, which as far as I can tell is basically a – you know, a Hooters restaurant in the middle of the state capital. The fact that those had to be the, the people of reason um, in this story is ridiculous to me on top of it. Our initial take on Valpo not accepting students was exactly right. That's what you do before you close, which they are now doing. Yeah, I mean, I think you would you would send whatever the faculty were willing to do it down there. Uh, you would send the students, which there is something to be said for having a seed, uh, starting a law school with a seed plant of students uh, who already are in and committed rather than just kind of starting from new and seeing who shows up. God, the people who went to Valpo but would have been just as happy going to Tennessee are I people – who made the entirely wrong decision to go to law school. Yeah, right? it did seem it did seem like a weird combination. Right. Almost feels like if they wanted this to work, they should have tried to work something out with Indiana Tech before it went under. Right. But, Look, I know a little bit I, I've got people in Indiana. I got my peoples in Indiana. So I know a little bit about the state um, and the legal market there more than others. And yeah, you've got your IU, you've got IUPUI, you still have you know, good or uh, law schools available for you in Indiana. But the other reason why the Indiana market is is challenging to have law schools operate and open new law schools is that it's a relatively small state with a relatively small population that has a lot of lawyers that can come in from Chicago, from the Illinois-Chicago yeah. area, and from the Ohio kind of Cincinnati area, right? Like you've got two major, you know, Indianapolis is is a, is a mid-sized city. You've got two other, you got a major city in Chicago and a 
a pretty big mid-sized city in Cincinnati, kind of flanking it, that also attracts a lot of legal talent. So a lot of people who live in Indiana who are looking to go to law school who maybe don't get into IU and don't want to go to IUPUI can still go out of state, relatively close to home, but out of state, get legal education, and then come back into the state if they want to, right? Yeah. The big firms in Indiana, certainly, I mean, if you're going to work for Ice Miller, you know, they'll take your Northwestern degree just as much as they'll take um, your IU degree. So that is a, so it's not like you're, you're, you're a big law or even, you know, a regional law hub there. When Indiana Tech was, screw when it was closing, when it was opening, we did a lot of stories about how that was a completely unnecessary law school in that state. And again, we've been proven right, but that was a state that never needed five or six law schools, right? You've got, not only do you have the out-of-state schools that are really close, but we haven't even said freaking Notre Dame, right? Which National focus, but yeah, no, definitely. Is in Indiana. Yeah. Yeah, People always forget that. No, then Louisville's right there if you think that Indianapolis is close. And when you're thinking about the geography, Valpo is close to Chicago. Uh, It was the northern part of the state. And Tennessee's not even the southern border of the state. There's a whole Kentucky I got to go through. Uh, So this never made much sense. And it's now failed. And so we'll just go ahead and... uh, say goodbye to our friends from Valpo. Maybe now that they're released from the burden of their underperforming law school, they can put more money back into their basketball team. Well, there you go. Yeah, the lesson for people considering law school is when you get much below those top-tier schools, there's always a risk of something like this. You can't guarantee that your school isn't going to go under because there's several, even ones with names that you might recognize, like Valpo, if you watch basketball, that may not be sound enough to hold forever i generally agree but i think you got to go a lot lower than just the top tier to before you're in real you got to get out of the top 100 really before you're in danger i'd go 50 for sure probably 100 but yeah i think if you go to top 100 school you can be reasonably assured that it's going to be there in three years you know maybe not 10 but like you'll get your three (laughs) yeah let's see here what was valpo's last u.s news ranking we live in a world where we don't have to wonder yeah. Oh, no. It, it fell into rank not published most recently, which is the... Wah, wah, yeah. Wah, wah. Wait, what'd you say? Oh, God damn it. Oh, that was so that was so sweet. My low-tech version is so much better. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, I think we're done talking about <laughs> law schools this week. Uh, we will be back next week talking about, you know, I, I feel like the end of a Mr. Rogers episode. We'll be back... <laughs> when the week is new. So with that, thanks I, for listening. Yeah. I was just, I, I assume that by next week, we'll, now that the midterms are over, Trump will have done something else. We'll probably be talking. illegal and jailable. And we'll probably, we'll be, probably talking be talking about, about legal tech. Almost assuredly. <laughs> God. So with that, we are gone. And you should be subscribed to the show, giving reviews, writing reviews. Those all help people discover the show. You should be reading Above the Law, following us both on Twitter. I'm at Joseph Patrice. He's at L-E-N-Y-C. You should listen to the other podcasts we have, the Book of Business podcast and the Jabot. You should listen to the rest of the Legal Talk Network's offerings. And that's it. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.